Hey guys, just before we start, I'd like to thank our new patrons from the month of March. So thank you, Amber. Thanks, Jules, for upping your pledge. Welcome, John. And as well as some people who dropped some change in the tip jar. So thank you, Lindsay, Meredith, and Carrie. You guys are so supportive of the cult, and I appreciate you guys so much, especially in this weird COVID-19 time zone we're living in. And now on to the episode. So welcome to uh, Mysterious Circumstances. And yeah, we're going to do some some heists, man, some robberies, some unsolved robberies out of France today. And joining me is actually somebody who I had the pleasure of hanging out with back in, what was it, two, two Januarys ago. Was it two hard already? Yeah, that's hard to believe that was over a year ago, huh? Because you were the, you were in there for, you were in it for the long haul with me. Oh yeah, I got smashed. <laughs> Drink too yeah, much whiskey. Too. Yeah. Justin was kind enough to let me crash until I sobered up enough to drive home. <laughs> yeah, it was a good time though. It was fun. We shut down two bars? Two bars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yep. Everybody the second else... one was nice. I like the second one better. Oh, so much better. So much yeah. chiller. Yeah, it but... was on that river and there was maybe what, like six, seven people in there or something, ten people tops. That's how I like it's my bars. Cool. Half yeah, empty, maybe. late at night. Bartender's just like, I'm clean I'm getting ready for all y'all to leave, so I don't talk to you. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. That's how it was too. We just sat there and bullshitted forever. Mm-hmm. We've are also already been talking for like two hours, guys. <laughs> We're yeah, thoroughly true. into that's our beers. <laughs> for real. But yeah, definitely. And what a, tell everybody what you're drinking over there. So I am drinking a beer from work. So if you're in Cincinnati, check out High Grain Brewing. But this is a, a coffee oatmeal stout, and it is really delicious. I hadn't tried it before. I pretended when people asked me. <laughs> I oh, sold so it very funny. well. I sold it very well. I had never I'm tasted sure it. Did. Oh, I have no doubt that you did. Yeah, the uh, I'm drinking Keystone. Like I'm not fancy. Drink Keystone Light over here. Um, getting ready. You know, I had to stock up for the apocalypse. Can't really turn down fifteen bucks for a thirty pack. Got to no. keep it blue collar. Got to keep it blue collar. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, I only had this because I had to pick up a paycheck, and they let us grocery shop in the walk-in freezer or walk-in cooler, and then I was planning on getting beer anyways because I didn't have any. Works out. Yeah. When your boss is nice enough to say, here, have a beer, <laughs> have a 32 ounce beer. Here, take a bunch of free alcohol. <laughs> Just go home and have it. It'll be fine. Go home. Okay, I don't know when I'll see. Up. Yeah. Go home. I don't know when I'll see you next. Here you go. Some beer. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Yeah. And you're out of Cincinnati. You said you guys mm-hmm. need the alcohol because you local sports. Kind of rough. Ohio sports are just depressing. We all drink because of that. Pretty much, yeah. At least you guys have a baseball team. Indiana doesn't even have one. Oh, we have two. (laughs) Yes, you do. And my Cubbies beat up on your Indians there a few years back. I was very happy about that. See, that's my team. I I don't like football. You cannot deny that Game 7 was the best World Series game you've ever seen. It was amazing. I was (laughs) streaming it, and I found out we lost because there was a lag, and the people across the street were cheering for the Cubs, and they started cheering, (laughs) and I just was devastated. Uh I was like, no! That was one of the greatest comebacks in World Series history. It was the greatest thing ever. It was the best World Series because neither team... 
Like if either team won, it would have been good because neither team had won in forever and they're both yeah, good teams. True. And it was like it was very intense and it's what you want in a World Series. It's not like, oh, so and so is going to win. They always win. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the Yankees, you know, something. Yeah. Welcome, Collective. I'm here this week with Justin from Mysterious Circumstances. Justin, would you like to tell everybody what your Mysterious Circumstances is about? Yeah, we, uh, well, not we, me. <laughs> I cover uh, basically anything that you can investigate, but uh, cold cases, you know, true crime. I try to debunk paranormal events, try to get into the occult a little bit. And I do historical figures as well. I don't know. Just anything mysterious, pretty much. Basically, if you love really in-depth multi-series, so how I do, I'll do one episode. Justin will do multi-series on historical figures. If you want to get more in-depth, those are always the ones I love. You'd be like, okay, I'm going to learn everything about this person <laughs> from their favorite color to everything they've ever done. Yeah, I go over vibes. I'm just really, really weird about that aspect of it i guess i'm a i'm a weirdo for details i suppose when it comes to that fashion of like the historical, a lot of historical figures it's fun to learn the context just learn about mm -hmm. them and who they are and why and everything like that oh yeah but we're here to talk about heists specifically yes. really fun heist <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit of a you know lighten the mood a little bit i've never done a heist episode or I haven't either. either so i figured it would be something pretty small like yeah do you want to <laughs> i guess uh yeah we're talking about the termites robbery and there will be some french involved as my listeners know i suck at french pronunciation i studied spanish and i normally just use french to piss up piss off my former co-host ashley so <laughs> there might be some ho -ho 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 happening oh yeah <laughs> um i do all right i'm actually french so uh i uh i will screw some things up more than likely but for the most part i have a grip on it i guess we'll see i'm sure i'll get plenty of hate mail if i mess some stuff up so <laughs> oh so i'll start this the okay. first heist because yes i said first there are multiple Yes, they're very is. good at their jobs. Very and good. They're very good in that we don't have that much information on each heist, but the information we do have is really interesting. So March 27th, 2010 in Paris, they discovered millions of pounds of, you know, cash, jewelry and everything had actually been taken from a Paris bank because get this, they didn't come in through the front door. No, they didn't come in through the back door. They dug a tunnel into the vaults. And then proceeded to empty over around 200 private safes. You know, a light tooth. They then carried, this is at a Credit Leone's branch. No in the S. No S. <laughs> Leone. Leone. Yeah. So this is in the area of Avenue de l'Opere. Lopere. Lopere. <laughs> Avenue de l'Opere. <laughs> I'm just making it sound I'm trying to make it sound friendly. <laughs> That's my problem. <laughs> they actually began digging from a neighboring cellar, so they're next door to the bank the weekend before the heist. So this was a week long journey of, you know, I'm assuming spoons, but probably not spoons, to just dig out a tunnel. I would like to think they used Right? So many spoons though. Assuming with Paris soil and how much stuff is there they probably found some strange things 
Oh, I bet they did. Yeah, it was like a, it was like scenes like right out of a movie too. And the police referred to them as the termite, like like she had said. You know, they broke through from next from a next door cellar, and the bank that they chose was closed at the time for refurbishment. So and smart. One of the deep, no, they they definitely. Once we get to the end of this, you guys are going to realize like there had to have been somebody inside somewhere that helped them out. But mm-hmm. yeah, one of the detectives said it was meticulously planned. The criminals are ice cool, and uh, the gang and they had hit other banks in the city. They overpowered a guard and sent and spent a leisurely time breaking open and emptying all the boxes. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. A leisurely time, you know, just robbing a even, bank. They weren't even in a hurry. Um, once they left. They proceeded to set fire to the vault, ridding it of forensic evidence. As you know, it's very difficult to get evidence from there. The detective said, quote, the whole thing was meticulous plan. The criminals were ice cool, determined. They spent at least seven hours in the vault, end quote. Yeah. So seven hours. They were, not in a hurry. <laughs> they, were they were chilling, sipping champagne, you know, rocking it out. Hanging out, smoking cigarettes and drinking wine. You know? And then they set fire to everything. So they're like, we could have left a cigarette. You won't know. It's burned up now. Thank you. Bye-bye. True story. story. Yeah, in April of 2010, the following month in Paris again was a second robbery. And uh, this raid came at uh, BNP Paribas. Not even sure how. I didn't look up how to pronounce that one. Um, it was about five miles from the from the credit, Lyonnais, which was targeted the weekend before. And uh, police were convinced that the robberies were both connected. They were the same gang. They used pickaxes, drills, and flamethrowers to break into these banks. You know, when I break into a bank, I think first thing I need to bring, flamethrower. Is the flamethrower. Yeah, if you're not using a flamethrower, you're not. So a spokesman of PNB said, quote, the gang aborted the robbery and started a fire to destroy evidence. They set off an alarm and alerted the police. They had not managed to open the safety deposit boxes, end quote. And so that means basically they got nothing out of this, but... hmm? No, I was just laughing. (laughs) You got nothing. You set fire to everything and got nothing. But they had already started a tunnel from the service station of the nearby metro. So, you know, swipe your metro card, go in your secret tunnel, rob a bank, get back on the metro easy well yeah. the pre the previous raid had actually been described as france's crime of the century and like that's why they they pinned them together because of the fires and the tunneling aspects so they're like okay these are the same people yeah and uh again in april of 2010 there's a third robbery and this is again suspected to be the termite gang at this point they attempted to dig their way into a french bank using a pneumatic drill over the course of this weekend and it was like i had mentioned the third attack of a bank within i don't know what was about five week period yeah and the uh the gang dug a tunnel into the bank from a nearby underground station and they did it in the early morning hours and they also failed again to seize any cash or value so they the third tunneling okay so because of this tunneling aspect, they're trying, like the police are trying to figure out, okay, where did they learn this from? And the French media actually were like, ah, we remember something from our history. It's the Spaganari affair, which Albert Spaganari 
had mastermind this huge heist, which we'll talk about at the end, 30 years before in Nice. So there is a history in France of tunneling to steal things. So they're like, oh, clearly they're learning from that. So this third robbery, they also managed to tunnel into a vault of the branch of the Fran- French bank Societe Generale. I'm, I'm going with Spanish. That's where my pronunciation is. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> no, we're fine with that. That's fine. <laughs> we're going to go with Spanish pronunciation. Um, they used a bank holiday and spent two days and nights be- inside before getting away. And so it ends up being, and then the article I got this from was in pounds. So six million pounds. So they're doing pretty great in this like five months mm-hmm. period. They hit two banks in one time and they also failed to get into the bank's strong room. So they are not getting in, they're getting into the safe, but they're not getting into like the room where all the mini safes are, where all pe- people keep their valuables. So they were like, screw this, set fire and left. So yeah. they're smart. And when they did set that fire, it set off the fire alarms, which alerted the police. And then they ended up arriving at the scene at about 4 a.m. and the gang had left the pneumatic drill and uh, a bunch of digging equipment. They basically just, when they set fire, they just took them. And detectives in France, they nicknamed them the termites, you know, because they were digging through the walls of all of these financial institutions. Like, they were, you know, going through sewers, they were going through cellars, and just digging all the way through. And the gang had succeeded in almost completely drilling through the bank wall, which is 50 centimeters thick, when they had eventually set off the... Oh, this is the first bank that week, and they tried to get through. So there's two banks. Mm -hmm. So they got one successfully, the other one, they were almost done. So the second bank, I mean, 50 centimeters isn't that far like left. So you've got one bank you've already got in, the second bank, you're so Mm -hmm. close. You set off the alarm. When the police got there, they have one bank, like one bank's on fire. This one, they had basically created an explosion underground through a gas pipe because they hit the gas pipe, which, as most people (laughs) know, not a great idea. Probably not. The spokesman was really happy for the Paris police that they didn't get to the safety deposit boxes because that's where the first crime where they got all the money in uh, Credit Lyonnais. They got 200 private safety deposit boxes. And as anybody knows, that's where most people keep their secure valuables. So we really don't know what was in there. So they were thrilled that they didn't get into those because insured things are in there, but also some probably not uninsured quote unquote things. Yeah, probably not. So yeah, then they passed through the ventilation pipes, dug into a neighboring cellar to reach the bank using, like we said, pickaxes and flames. So another branch of uh, the Case de Parnia in Paris suburb was robbed in a similar fashion, and that was over uh, a New Year's Eve. And police said that this raid, or this raid, police said that this robbery had striking similarities to one of the robberies that uh, the very first one, or no, to another bank that was undergoing construction work in the suburb of, uh, shit. Denis. Uh, Saint, yeah, Saint, Saint Denis in September, where 117 safe deposit boxes were emptied by the thieves. And, uh, the B&P Paribas, it, they issued a statement and, uh, they said that nothing had been stolen and no damage had been caused during the break-in. But a spokesman said, quote, 
there was no damage and no theft in the safe deposit box. The attempted theft was a failure. But to be honest with you, I mean, they've got enough by this point in time. They're not exactly doing bad. No, and it seems like a lot of the banks are trying to save face because they're just getting money at this point. Like the past, like these third robberies, like the third series of robberies, it's they're not getting to the safety deposit boxes. They're just getting cash. So the bank can kind of cut like save face and be like, oh, no, no damage. Nothing's happened. They failed and they've mm-hmm. still gotten some cash. They just haven't gotten the real valuables. So I really enjoy it. So these are like more tangent, tangential connection that have occurred outside of Paris and around the world that they've mm-hmm. connected to the termite. So in 2013, there was a wine robbery and, you know, they... The robbers were known to have good taste, high performance drills, and inside knowledge. And they pissed off all of France's most prestigious restaurant owners. Because why? (laughs) Instead of coming in through the windows, you know, they burrowed into the cellar in search of these fine wines. Mm -hmm. And it's now known as the termite method. And that's why they connected it. They're like, oh, these are clearly the termiteurs. Uh, yeah, they made off with like several dozen excellent bottles and they were, each bottle was worth about 1500 pounds and they were from the boutique in central Paris, which was, they, it was ran by a huge major chef in that area. And the gangs usually get into the cellar of a building that is undergoing renovation work. Like that's kind of their thing. During that year, I mean, they hit everything from wine to safety deposit boxes, perfume, jewels for coats. Uh, you know, there has, they basically upsurged everything. Like they mm-hmm. really like took it to the next level to pretty much steal anything that they could. That was- yeah. So the raid on the restaurant owned by Mr. Robachon freaked out all the fancy wine people. There's a lot of them in Paris. And what happened was the police determined that when the gang drilled a hole in the cellar wall, it actually turned off the alarm. So this time, instead of the, like, unlike a bank, they're expecting people to come in the doors. They drilled into there and it somehow, when they drilled the hole in the wall, it somehow disengaged the alarm where it would not affect them and it wouldn't alert police. And they were able to sneak into the cellar, take the wine without being noticed. As police said, they knew what they were looking for. So they knew what was in the cellar. So they had to have an inside person. And, quote, they didn't stumble upon this by chance, end quote. Yeah. And then Mr. Robichon, he would not identify the bottles that had been removed, but said they included rare and esteemed vintages from France's most illustrious domain. He said, uh, quote, they had to be well-informed because they drilled a hole right by the cupboard where the wines were stacked, end quote. And then a police source said, uh, we are dealing with several very well-organized teams that are perfectly aware of the layout of the places they are targeting. They master the technique for drilling a hole in a wall, a floor, for, a floor or a safety box. Perhaps they are former building workers. And, and, and Honestly, I I wouldn't be far for, off from that, too. Like, they had to have known something. Yeah. It's the placement of where they dig is too secure. Like, they are certain. And most people, even if you get maps, you don't really know exactly. Like, this one, they knew exactly how to do it where they could take 
the bottles without setting off the alarm. They like disengage the alarm. So it's mm-hmm. crazy. Le Figaro uh, newspaper determined that this was the return of the termites. So they had been gone since 2010. They come mm-hmm. back in 2013, steal wine, all these luxury goods. And really, Paris restaurants were like, checkmate, let's up our underground securities. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's like, we got these assholes out here stealing all our booze, man. And and it's like, if- and it's worth money though you know fancy wine is worth money until it turns into vinegar so you got you got that sweet spot mm-hmm. so yeah. at laurent which is a fancy establishment they had its cellars with 25,000 guys 25,000 and this time period if i had 25,000 bottles of wine i'm going to have a good time they were protected by a security guard an alarm and a wire mesh grill that's intense on top of it, Felipe, I'm going to call him Felipe, Felipe B, because that last name is very intense. That's very, very intense. <laughs> and French. Uh, he was the wine waiter, said he would always place bottles on the rack in the cellar, meaning they had to, so they had to move them one by one. And it's, ba- they basically did it that way. So you couldn't just take a crate of it anymore. You had to like, to get the one you need, you had to go dig through the the racks. And I was, that is the cleverest. like. We're going to make you make take your time to get the bottles you want. You want this one? You have to now remove 20 bottles of wine to get that one. Good luck. Yeah, and at one restaurant, they had six wine cellars, which contained 60,000 bottles of wine. That's six zeros. 60,000 bottles of wine, right? So one of these bottles of wine was an 1846 Chateau Lafitte Rothschild. And it was that one bottle alone was worth 15,000 pounds. So they're protected. They, this shit was protected by steel doors, an electronic surveillance system, and a motion detector. But the, the termite gang can pretty much get through anything at this time. You know, I mean, they, they didn't end up stealing that shit from what I understand, but dude, they started locking their wine up and like, steel safes and shit my question <laughs> is who is buying a fifteen thousand dollar pound like our fifteen thousand pound bottle of wine like if it i better had have a million bucks i'd fucking buy the hell out of it's gotta does be it good. have gold in it uh my uncle sells wine fancy wine is just fancy wine it's That's not better it than cheap ass wine and i pissed him off when he brought pope wine to christmas so i tell you what the big the big question here is where where would they have originated this technique and knew that it was going to work so well, you know? And that brings us to one person who I don't really think was particularly involved. Like, I don't even think he was. I think he might have know. been dead. He, yeah, I think he might have been dead by that point. But in 1976, mm-hmm. this dude named Albert Spaghetti. Yeah, That's what it looks like. Yeah, Albert Spaghetti, a former soldier, he burrowed into the uh into a bank in nice for hans and he opened 371 deposit box and he got away with an estimated 20 million pounds which is crazy shit yeah and like i said we're gonna hit him at the end because he's interesting as well we're just gonna go over his heist but this is where they got the idea well you know it's 2013 you gotta lay low for a bit where in the world are we gonna hit next this is a carmen san diego-esque group Mm -hmm. let's go asia they went to the philippines guys which in 2018 i would not recommend 
but for doing criminal things. So in Emma City, there were two robbery suspects killed in a shootout with patrolling law enforcement at a gasoline station in Bangaray, San Juan at dawn on a Wednesday. The superior uh, superintendent police officer basically determined that they were near the site. They noticed the two, it's two attendants waving at the police and they're like, hey, there's been a robbery incident. Uh, the police officer said PIB, which I'm guessing is the federal police force, and the city cops then began conducting surveillance operations on the alleged presence of members of the notorious quote-unquote termite gang who were reported to be operating in some commercial buildings in the area. So basically they're like, these people are plotting some shit right now. <laughs> Likely, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the, the two cops, or the... The cops, they started chasing the two suspects and they left on two motorcycles. But the suspects, they had handguns. They started firing at the cops who were chasing them. And then the cops ended up, you know, shooting back and they killed them in the process. And suspects who died, they remained unidentified at the time that this press release came out. And for those of you who do not know, like this information, it's, you know, scattered about, but it sucks because like any updates or anything like that, like they're not in English. Like <laughs> a lot of the really good articles are not in English and it's like, ah, oh, shit. Okay. That, yeah. That's why it sometimes seems like we're a little bit disjointed is because we're grabbing as much information that is in English. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The police ended up recovering uh, two thirty-eight caliber guns, which they were they were homemade improvised guns. They you know they were revolvers with ammunition. They had three cartridges of nine millimeter. They had a thousand dollars cash, and then their getaway. And I believe that's a thousand dollars in Filipino cash. I don't remember what the currency is in the Philippines, but so I'm just gonna tell you what I know about the Philippines at this point. It's not a great time. Their current president, prime minister, took over. And he started his war on um, drugs. We're going to say it's on drugs. But basically, mm -hmm. if you were a, a suspected drug dealer, which often, or a suspected drug user, which the drug users often got lumped in with Western tourists, mm -hmm. you might end up dead in a, in a little nice uh, canal, the bay. This is the same Filipino president who um, admitted on live TV that he was part of death squads. Yeah. So... He's great. Um, I suggest you go research him in your own free time and make up your own opinions. But general knowledge of what's happening in the Philippines right now. <laughs> so they took the cadavers of the two suspects back to the Herald Funeral Homes in Tres Materes City for, you know, proper forensics and dealing with the dad. Meanwhile, the provincial police commander said they... For that city, they intensified their checkpoint operations. They were really looking at lawless elements in the region because they had an, a gun ban and they were monitoring. Really, they just shut down the area. Mm -hmm. So they're like, we're going to shut this down. We're going to make sure we get these guys. On top of it, uh, they took the confiscated guns to the provincial headquarters to kind of figure out what's going on because they're also having elections at this time. So it just heightens everything, as we all know. Elections making everything worse since we've started elections. And I'll just... So he also, because they had these guns confiscated and they were like homemade guns that the gang had, they had 
33 village chiefs from the General Trias city voluntarily res- uh, surrender their respective firearms for safekeeping as well. So, like, that's how heightened the tension is when they're shooting out these suspected termite gang members that they didn't get to compete complete their heist. So they were like, deuces, and they headed where? Uh, they headed to Manila <laughs> in 2019 is where they pop up again. And a couple place gets robbed. Policemen said the robbers entered a drainage canal from where they bore a hole that that uh, broke through the concrete flooring of the cash department of this bank. The investigators learned from the bank management that the bank has no security guard at the time of this happening. And uh, the line of closed circuit TV camera was cut. A security guard was only assigned during the day while the CCTV was was off overnight. So investigators discovered that the suspects had cut the line of the alarm in the CCTV before the robbery. And then, you know, they later ended up recovering the the hardware that was used, well, that they suspect was used by the, uh, by the suspects who did rob them. You know, these guys, I mean, thinking about it, going from Paris where it's a lot more sophisticated Mm -hmm. to the Philippines is actually kind of smart because you've already honed your skills. Uh And security's a little more lax there, so you can just be like, oh, cool, just peace out. Yeah, pretty much. Just build your little nest egg. So I know I've been teasing it, but let's talk about Albert Speganari. I feel like that was Italian, but let's just go with it. So he actually worked in a photography studio in Nice in 1978. He at this time, plotted to rob the Societe General Bank. And he was like, you know what? I can't do this by myself. So he enlisted a gang in order to dig a 25 foot, 25 feet of tunnel between the vault and the city sewers, which is insane to think about. Just like, yeah, you know, nonchalantly, we're going to dig this 25 foot tunnel. But he heard that the sewers close to the vault. He heard that the sewers were close to the vault. Oh, close. I can't bank. read. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he found out that they were close. So he like looked at maps and I'm assuming and such. And he was like, you know what? It's easier to do it this way. And that's why he hired the gang. To get information, he then rents a box at the bank vault for himself. And he put, this. He put a large alarm clock in the vault. So he would set it to ring at night to like basically check for any acoustic or seismic detection gear. Which is so brilliant. He's just like, you know what? If you're it actually is super smart. Because <laughs> if you're gonna set off an alarm, that kind of would be the way is the vibrations. And mm-hmm. he's like, I got this vault. I got this little safety deposit box. Put those in there. And if they call me, I know that it, they have mm-hmm. that alarm. Yeah, he he uh, you know, he set that alarm or whatever, and he found out that there's no alarms protecting the vault like whatsoever. Because it was considered to be impenetrable. So the the door wall was extremely thick and there was no no way to access the other walls, or at least not any obvious way. So Spaghetti, he uh, contacted like all these professional gangsters from uh, Marseille or Marseille. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and yeah. Uh, yeah, they didn't even want to participate in the robbery. They That's were like, rude. nah, man. They're like, nah, we're not going to do that shit. 
But, uh, you know, they, they suspect that his accomplices that he used were probably recruited through old, like, uh, OAS friends that he... Basically old wartime friends. Yes, yes. Good old wartime friends. So they spent their time getting down to the sewers, two months digging an eight meter long, so 26 feet tunnel from the sewer to the vault floor. And how does no one notice a bunch of dudes That's... going down into the sewer? Yeah, unless they were doing work at the time. You know, good costuming never goes amiss. Exactly. Throw on that road worker vest and you're good to go. Some high-vis, everyone thinks you're just part of the city. Exactly. So Spaganari was really careful during this dig because they worked long hours continuously dri- drilling. He was like, no coffee, no alcohol, which this is France in the 70s. I'm just saying. Um, and to get at least 10 hours of sleep every shift to avoid danger to the mission. So basically, he's like, I don't want any accidents. I mm-hmm. want you all to be healthy and well looked after while you're in this sewer. Yeah, on, on July 16th, 1976, it was, a, it was a long weekend because of a holiday and his gang broke into the, the actual vault itself. And they opened up 400 safety deposit boxes. And stole an estimated 30 to 100 million francs worth of money, securities, and valuables. And it was considered at the time the largest heist in the history of bank. So impressive. Cause, and that's it why, really like, <laughs> stealing from safety deposits is so key because one, a lot of people don't cite what's in their safety deposit box. That's your mm-hmm. liberty or whatever you want in there. So he was like, we don't know how much they took because some people have stuff in there they're not telling you about. Exactly. (laughs) No matter how nicely you ask, they're not telling. So according to some, Spaganari would uh, bring his men a meal, included wine and pate, and they sat down in the vault to have a picnic lunch while they're robbing it. So French. So French. (laughs) Yeah, they spent hours picking through all these safety deposit boxes like they took their time. And before they left, which was on the 20th of July, they left a message on the walls of the vault. And it in, in English, it said, without weapons, hatred, or violence. And then a few months later, police found Spaghetti uh, and elicited pretty much a, a confession. It's so crazy. Like, they harmed no one. That's what I, I'm like, kind of okay yeah. with these because no one's hurt. Yeah. It's just property. <laughs> like, the sucky thing is your property's stolen. But they do not kill or maim or harm anyone. They're just like, cool, we're going to take this and bounce. Yep. Um, during the court hearing, Spagari distracted the judge, leaped out of a window, <laughs> not, not shitting you, onto a waiting motorcycle. Like, yep. this is a movie. It has actually been made. He was never caught again, even though he wrote a book about the heist, along with, uh, he wrote, and then wrote two other books. And gave a broadcast interview. However, <laughs> they never got the cash. <laughs> like, yeah. none of the spoils were ever caught. So even of the gang, they never got anybody else, really. Yeah. And he died in 1989. So, like, yeah. there's this huge history of tunneling heists in France, and I, I kind of love it. I'm kind of eager to know where the hell he put all of it. Like, <laughs> whether he sold it off, like, he had to, that's the thing, like, nothing was ever found. So it's like, where did all of it go? Like what happened? But I mean, dude, during a court hearing, the guy jumps out a window and shit, and there's like a motorcycle down there waiting, and he just like rides off totally free. 
I don't know why, but that's kind of badass. It's so badass. Apparently, he went to Argentina and got some plastic surgery so he could come back to France to visit his mom and his wife. It's the most French bad. thing I've ever heard of. Yeah. Hey, man, gotta gotta come back and visit the fam, you know? So, yeah, like, I think Speg and Ari kind of give a good example of, you know, how to commit these tunnel heists and this new gang just perfected it to French kiss into the air, like, perfection. They perfected the shit out of it. And they had to have gotten, I don't think they got the knowledge from him directly, but just like his, uh, the way that he did it. I think the way he did it was so publicized and the Mm -hmm. fact that he wrote, what, three books? You know what I mean? Somebody was like, this is fucking full this too. And there was a movie. So like, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's like an Ocean's Eleven. You're like, do you want to tell us how to do it? Because we got that. But I mean, yep. pretty. He was only caught because, uh, like they there was like a hint, or they they interrogated someone and they gave him up. But mm-hmm. what if the new gang theory? I just came up with this. The new gang is like the second generation of like his buddies. Could be honestly like their kids or some shit because the time yeah. frame would work. Because yeah, like what he died in eighty nine. This happened in seventy. So they'd be in their forties or even their grandkids. Like they all just yeah. perfected it. Just chill. Well, think about it. They got a couple million francs. They could chill for a generation. They really, really good. Because, I mean, this is before, yeah, this is before they were on the Euro. So, you know, they just chill and keep sliding some cash into their bank like a paycheck. Pretty fucking much, yeah. Huh. I just, I mean, the fact that they went, we went from Paris. When we started this, I knew of the Paris. And then all of a sudden they're like, and they're in the Philippines? And you're like. Same methods used in everything, except it's like they. Because if they stole that much money, let's say they sold it on the black market, there you can, let's say you take a million dollars to the Philippines or something like that, you automatically have an exchange rate to where you're living pretty damn good. You know what I mean? You can buy your own goddamn island just chilling on there. You probably could. Living your best life. I'm mad about it. Yeah. They didn't hurt anybody. That's, you know, we get mad about a lot of these crimes. But they they made it seems like they made sure like alarm goes off, something goes wrong. They get out. Nobody's hurt. You can't get mad at that kind of crime. Yeah. And like the one, you know, that he left, the one guy, they left that note on the damn vault walls, like without weapons, hatred or violence. It's like, well played, man. Well played. That's what makes me think it's like a family thing, because could very well be most. It feels like most criminals on that kind of level, yeah, you don't want to have violence, but you also mm-hmm. don't want to have witness. And exactly. this one seems very much like we got our way in, we got our way out. We good. I just want to know how awful is it digging those tunnels? Dude, for them to, it's probably a lot more awful than, uh, you know, sitting in a bank vault for a couple of days, nitpicking through every single safety deposit box, making sure you take. Yeah, because I mean. Stuck tunneling through all that shit. What is it? Uh. The first, the 70s one, Speg and Ari's, they don't say how long they spent in the vault, but the other ones, they spent seven to eight hours. Oh, yeah. That's a lot. That seems a lot quicker to go through all the vaults. So you have to have some sort of key trick key thing to get all yeah. those open. Because, yeah, they got well, like- on the, the one they were in because it was a holiday. They, they suspect they broke in on the 16th and uh, they left on the 20th. So, yeah. I mean, Hard telling how long they were even in there. They could have been in there a couple damn days, you know, just hanging out, literally nitpicking through every single safe. You know, hit all, 
my okay this is my if i was going to do this i would hit all the ones that were kind of easy first get Mm -hmm. all the easy stuff so if you have start getting that out and some of the the safety deposit boxes if they were difficult then it gives you time you know you at least got some cash out if you have to leave you're good the harder ones you can spend your time so think about it probably day one get all the ones if they're kind of easy kind of old kind of broken take your time take a day work on the harder ones Mm -hmm. have a snack take a nap yeah and obviously they had what one point in time they had a picnic you know, in the vault. So, I mean, they brought food with them and shit. Yeah, I think that's according to Spaganari, who said he brought them wine and pate, which, I mean, you're French. Of course you're bringing wine and pate. Like, yeah, I mean, your vault picnic. Where do you think all the money went? I don't know, man. I really don't know. I want to say that any kind of, I think they would aim for more cash than anything because, like, black market value of jewelry or anything like that that they would steal would be of less value. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know anything cash related. They wouldn't hang on to jewels or or anything like that. They would they would sell it, you know, underground, and you know it's at a fraction of the cost that it's actually worth. But I I don't know, man. Like nothing was ever found, so there might be a huge bundle of cash somewhere. Yeah, that's that's the hard thing. Is like, how do you get rid of? That's what they say. Like, cash is easier to get rid of, especially at that time, because. You had to have the numbers, the sequential numbers for it. And if you didn't, you could just put it in. And if you did it slowly enough, like it's a paycheck or something, you're good. I wonder if they just kept the jewels, like you just put them in another safety deposit box and just chill them there, like chill them for a little bit and then sell them in a different country. Probably could, yeah. Man, I'm giving people people too many ideas. I know, right? I have not and, stolen anything, Preface. And like, let's keep in mind that, like, the termite gang, that wasn't very long ago. <laughs> 2010? Know? No, that couldn't have been me. I was still in high school. <laughs> I was almost done, but I was still in high school. It was not me. I was in Bumblefuck, Ohio. Oh, you love <laughs> Ohio. You know you do. Hit or miss on the state, honestly. Me too. <laughs> that's because you you're neighbors to it. Yeah, you guys' road or- construction sucks, too. We're ha- guys, we're having fun in this coronavirus time. We're Trying living our anyway. we're living our best life, learning about heists and drinking beer. Do you want to tell everybody where they can find you? Yeah, sure. You know, got the Facebook, of course. Look up Mysterious Circumstances, and Instagram is at Mysterious underscore Podcast. Twitter is at Podcast MC, and then like listening wise, stream a podcast. Yeah, not too hard to find. Yeah. So I guess. Uh, Cheers to quarantine Jeez. life for real i'm not there yet <laughs> but probably will be by next weekend i'm sure <laughs> all right well i'll talk to you later hey we're renee and adrian and we are the outlandish historians we're sisters nerds and lovers of all things history except bell bottoms keep that in the past Come hang out with us on the Dear World of History podcast, where we'll frolic through time as we chat and geek out over the good, the bad, and the downright ugly history of the world. We promise you don't have to be a licensed historian to travel through time with us. Maritime disasters? Check. Historical serial killers? Check. Glamorous and petty royals? Check and check. You can find us almost anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Dear Historians and Instagram at Outlandish Historians. So chug that drink me bottle and come on down the rabbit hole. It's going to be a wild ride. 
Vaults of Domesticity. We're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at Domestic Podcasts and our Instagram is at The Cult of Domesticity. We also have podcast merch at Threadless. Uh, as well, if you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult-free.